I came back to a world where it seems like every cold pitch has at least three mentions of AI. <laughs>
it's very buzzy right now to talk about AI. I think the, you know, again, putting aside all the cold emails I'm getting, I'm sure your inbox looks the same way that mentions AI. The thing I find really interesting about this particular topic is how quickly what I would call non-technical people in my, in my network are talking about it. And, and, you know, like in other words, you know, my mom's asking about it now. And, you know, Dana and I mm -hmm. had a conversation about it the other night. And, and, and my neighbors down the street, you know, they see us as like the tech people in the neighborhood and they're asking about it. So, and I, and I wonder why, I, I've been wondering why that is. And the, the best reason, I'm curious what you think of this. I think the best reason I, that I can come up with why non-technical people are hearing about this is because it, it almost feels scary to think that something could take jobs because that is the sub, it's almost like that's the subtext of AI is that it's, that it's coming for jobs or it's coming for certain sectors or something like that. I don't know. I, I think that's interesting because we never saw that with GPT. We never really saw that. Well, maybe we did a little bit, but we definitely didn't see that with blockchain. We didn't see that with all the other hype, you know, hyped technologies over the last 10, 20 years. But it's just fascinating. It seems like the last two or three weeks, the media cycles just picked this whole thing up. And you can't scroll Twitter without seeing a thread on it. You can't, you know, the nightly news has something on it now. And now it's showing up in shareholder reports, uh, you know, uh, as well. So I, actually that's, well, actually, let me stop because I'm going to take this down a path you don't want to go. <laughs> well, we don't know that, but I think, you know, to your point, I mean, look, I mean, both you and I are old enough to remember when the vast majority of cars in, in, in the U.S. were made in Detroit. And on top of that, the, so many of those cars were exported around the world. I mean, there, there obviously were other car manufacturers, but when you and I were kids, I mean, companies like Nissan and Toyota were in their infancy, and they certainly had never challenged the U.S. on luxury cars. You know, the brands like Lexus and Infiniti hadn't even been created yet. And so there were hundreds of thousands of jobs in Detroit, and that's now tens of thousands of jobs. And I, I think maybe, maybe it's this, this generational gap that didn't live through that that are reacting with surprise to what AI is doing here. And it, it's to me, very similar. I mean, you've got in a discussion that you and I had, you know, offline, it's, you know, this whole aspect of AI accelerates so much and it, it's a, it's a level setter, if you will. It could take someone who's a very junior coder or a junior developer or a junior graphic designer and turn them into somebody who can have much more output very quickly. That I, there's something to that, right? Like, like I think, I think that if you're on the fearful side of AI, it's this doom and gloom. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I'm a designer. I'm th this thing's going to take my job, whatever. Right. Like if you're on that side of the mental barrier, you know, it's, it's scary, but on the other side, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what Google did to knowledge workers, right? Like Google never replaced knowledge workers. It just made it easier to find whatever you needed. And so look, I think let's just use that designer example right there. If you're a, a low value add designer, let's just say you're moving pixels, removing backgrounds, you know, that sort of stuff, which I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dogging on it. I'm just saying like, if you're the kind of designer that's spending time, you know, doing those kind of rote tasks or whatever, that's an example of where AI could cause you some income problems. But on the flip side, if you're a designer that's, uh, creating brand identity, something where there's still some creativity involved and you need to understand brand values and all that stuff. AI 
I think, becomes a um, a tool that allows you to maybe come up with a hundred variations as opposed to ten. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it just kind of depends on. Uh, to me, this whole like AI wave is really just it really depends on where you are mentally, but also where you are on the value chain of whatever work you provide. I, I will say. So I've had a couple of our portfolio companies just text or call this week. And my quick conversations with them has really been, uh, it's really come down to two pieces of advice I've been given to everybody. The first is you don't have to be first. One of the questions these founders typically ask is, what are you seeing in the portfolio? Do we need to hire somebody to start thinking about how to use AI in our products? And the first thing I say is, look, you don't have to be first. Like, don't rush this out. You don't have to go hire somebody. Like, let's just just marinate on it for a little bit. And then the second thing I'll tell them is, is that, look, whatever you think you want to do with AI, just understand that the starting point of it is not like an expert. You actually have to have some sort of data set to train on the model first. So for example, if you're a startup and you have zero data or zero documentation or zero whatever, you could hire the smartest engineers in the world, but if there's no data to train a model for whatever your specific use case is, it's just not going to work. So I don't know, maybe that's counterintuitive, but you know, I, I think that's maybe my message to everybody right now is like, if you're building stuff right now, if you're a, you know, an entrepreneur or an employee somewhere or whatever, don't rush anything just yet. I mean, keep an eye on everything and, and understand that it's pro- there's probably some value in sort of letting this first wave of AI noise go by and let this first wave of sort of AI products come out and let's just see what sticks. And then you kind of come in on the second round if you want. It's, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Because startup culture says, let's go. As a reminder, Google was not the first search engine. <laughs> Facebook was not the first social media platform. <laughs> you know, right. uh, Oracle really wasn't the first database. <laughs> so you're going to be just fine. We're all fine. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, when you talk about technology and, and accelerating things. I was I was actually having a conversation in Dallas. I was in a meeting there this week and it was a, a, a friend of mine who used to write for the Wall Street Journal and he was talking about his daughter who, you know, who's a, um, a writer for television shows. And we got to talking about animation. And to be clear, like neither he nor I are experts on AI, but it really got my mind thinking. And he was talking about how, you know, it, it, how AI had helped accelerate the animation of a show. So where, you know, they would finish writing a show and and maybe it would take them a year or 18 months to run the whole thing through animation and create everything that maybe that can be done six months now or four months or, you know, I don't know what the the exact number, but magnitudes less time. And so that in theory, and I'm extrapolating here because I'm not obviously a writer and I don't know that industry well, but if you can then produce a show more quickly, there are knock on effects there. And so while the technology itself may be, quote unquote, deflationary, if you get your show to market faster, you can, in theory, sell ads quicker. You can, in theory, sell a second season quicker, or you can fail quicker, which is a huge mantra of the startup world, and move on to the next show. Yeah. Um, as opposed to waiting, waiting out this time for to be reliant on other services, and that's where I think you know we, I said this in the pre-show, like you know, in general, yes, technology is deflationary, but it also spurs new ideas, and the fact that there are a bazillion streaming platforms now means that there are that many more avenues for somebody to create the next TV show. Yeah. So if there is more AI capacity to animate something, 
there's also more creator capacity in being able to sell the show to, to multiple channels. Who knows what that looks like, but it doesn't. It, AI doesn't just have to replace jobs. It can create them. That's right. Okay, two things. First, on that, on that topic, people always talk about technology as displacing jobs. I mean, since... Since fire was created, it displaced somebody, right? <laughs> but but it, it's like ha that's half the statement. So yes, it, it will dis uh, displace jobs, but it's not like those people it displaces your current job, right? Exactly, that's the key. You know, so 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 that's the only thing I'll say to that. The other thing I'll say, you know, just the way you talked about uh, graphic artists and and animators and stuff like that. You know, the the, the way to one of the ways I would sort of summarize what you're saying there, at least in my opinion, is, is that companies should be slow to integrate AI, but individuals should be fast to learn about the capabilities of AI. So let me, let me rephrase that. I think as a company, you don't need to put a Q3 plan together right now on how you're going to integrate AI into your product. You do not need to do that. But I do think it's worth carving out a little bit of time at the individual level as individual employees and employers and stuff like that, and, and ask ourselves, like, could existing AI tools out there help our staff do something better? Like a good, here's a good example, knowledge base, a knowledge base. So like, maybe not for like easy to understand products, but for example, uh, the company that shall not be named on our, on my end, I, I think we're within a month now, I promise you. Someday. Yeah, someday. shall be named someday. I promise, well, I think we're within a month. But what we do is, is extremely complicated extremely complicated. And um, our knowledge base internally is pretty big. It's, I mean, we're talking, I'd have to look, but it's it's hundreds of megabytes of documents and training docs and stuff like that. Well, that's an interesting use case for an off-the-shelf, we don't even have to build something, but an off-the-shelf AI tool to put a query on top of all those documents. How do I do X? Well, instead of actually using a dumb search, right? Like, because traditionally it's dumb search. You have to know which words you're looking for and then you're presented with like 77 options and then you got to like scroll through and click the right one. The interesting part is in use cases like that, you, you can now ask a specific question. AI is smart enough to understand that question. Look at that massive hundred, you know, megabyte, gigabit, you know, whatever it is, uh, uh, knowledge base and give you an easy to read answer. That's, that's really interesting. So yeah, summary there is, I think companies should be slow to, to, to bring on AI, but I think individuals should tinker and, and see what's possible because it's possible they could actually increase their own throughput, their own output using some of these um, existing tools. Yeah, and I think that we think generally about AI in terms of one of the things that you just said about you know, asking a chatbot a question to get an answer. And that's certainly that's certainly the way it's being talked about most right now. But I, I think that it will be a long time before that's the dominant way that AI is used because there's so many different facets of operations right now that that weave it into their daily operation. We talked about a little of this in the pre-show of that dress that you bought for Dana for Mother's Day that she ends up wanting a different size in and you need to return it and you're you're doing that with a chatbot on the website that you bought it from and you know to tie it to things that are in the news today, you know, Lyft announced another massive round of layoffs. They laid off another 25% of their staff as they try to keep up with uh, with Uber. And they don't have the overhang of, of food delivery and other things on their network. They're really just a, a people-moving company. And so as they trim those jobs, a big part of what they're talking about doing is using some level of technology and AI to automate some of those paths. And yes, that means that some people are losing their jobs. But on the flip side, if Lyft 
stays in business, then yeah. the remaining 3,000 or so people at, at corporate keep their jobs and all the drivers that are part of the driver network keep their jobs. And you know, AI is a perfect tool to, to stitch together a bunch of the different functions that a company like Lyft needs that humans have been doing for years in companies like that. So I'm going to, I don't, I'm going to put you on the spot. You might hate this. So we'll see. Uh-oh. Like, okay. So, so for example, I got back from my trip and I started feeling sick and, um, you know, I went on to my little Aetna app and it, it sets you up with a virtual minute clinic thing and you, you know, somebody FaceTimes mm-hmm. me, somebody, some doctor, I actually ended up asking him, I think some doctor down in Williamsburg, like three hours south of us got on FaceTime with me at like nine o'clock on a Sunday night, you know, and here we are, we have a 10 minute conversation. Five of it is about my symptoms and five of it is about his beach house and duck. And then... <laughs> He <laughs> sent my prescription to the local, uh, you know, Wegmans or whatever. Okay, so here's the mm-hmm. question. I'm curious what you think. Putting aside regulation and all that stuff, right? Let's assume regulation and all that catches up and, and, and you know, AI is safe and all that. At what point would consumer ed be comfortable getting diagnosed for medical stuff by an AI chat bot or video bot or something like that? And I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm curious, like, if all the regulatory stuff was solved, would you? When would you feel comfortable doing that, or would you? I guess I think I, I think I would feel comfortable with it now on a sliding scale. And, and the 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 example I'd use is, and, and to be clear, everybody's going to have their own specific comfort levels. At one point, our daughter was very susceptible to strep throat, and it would present itself in a very specific way with her that wasn't really the same as other kids. But as parents, I think you know this. You kind of sort of know what's going on with your kids after you've seen it multiple times. So do I want to, and she would, uh, uh, sorry, for clarity too, she would always fail the rapid test at the doctor's office and they would have to send the sample out for further clinical study. And then we would get the, the full strep test back in two or three days. And then she would take medicine and then she would start getting better. Now, the typical treatment for that is antibiotics. Some parents are against antibiotics, not trying to you know create a, a war about medicine. But to that point of as a parent, if we feel comfortable having seen the symptoms four or five times in our own daughter on that specific sort of thing, and we're comfortable giving our daughter antibiotics, and we know she's going to be uncomfortable when we wait three days over a weekend to get the results back on a lab culture as opposed to an in-office rapid test. Would a chat bot with me being able to describe her symptoms and prescribe antibiotics on Friday be better than having her be miserable all weekend and then miss school on Monday because the test results don't come back until sometime on Monday? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, juice worth the squeeze. And, and I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. And I think I think that kind of helps me make what I, what I think is my point on this. I think a lot of the conversation of AI has been about displacing jobs, right? But we've already said that that's only half the statement. You know, those people do go on to something else. You know, maybe we have to train them, but they do go. It's not like they disappear off the face of the earth, you know, and and languish in poverty. (laughs) Something happens. But now to this topic, I think the thing about AI, the uh, this is the other side of AI where I the. The other side of AI is, is that people seem to be implying that this is the future. You're going to be looking at some AI-generated face that is pretending to be a doctor and is going to somehow replace that. And I don't think that's the case. I think what's going to happen is, is that for these higher-level knowledge worker tasks where you have like doctors or lawyers or CPAs, CFAs, all these other st- things, I think you're going to start to see an AI assistant almost just kind of like sitting there in the background of the call, transcribing everything, 
providing summaries. Um, you know, and you can already see this a little bit with Google Meet, by the way. I don't know if you've messed with this. If you pay for like the um, enterprise versions of Google Workspace, you can turn on the recording whenever you're on a Google Meet. It'll then transcribe it. And there look there seem to be some be- oh, okay. yeah there seem to be some beta features now that will then summarize the transcript for you and give give you that as a hey here are the topics you guys discussed and it's got timestamps like it you know we 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 actually tested a service like this it wasn't ready for prime time but we tested a service it was an Otter AI plugin into a call software that we use and it it would there was another piece and the interesting piece there was it would actually create tasks for you so if you and I are on a call and I say hey Paul I need you to follow up with that company you won't tell us the name of to, to talk about billing it would create the task and put it in both of our mm-hmm. you know task calendars if you will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so like I could see I, I guess I could see on the other side that AI is going to be it's almost going to be like this. How do I say this? Like, you know, right now when you think of, do you wear an Apple watch? Or, I mean, I know you have an iPhone. I do. Yeah. So like, if you're anything like me, I I mean, we all have a love-hate relationship with Siri. You know, it's like, I, I, I pretty much use Siri. I just have a hate-hate relationship with her. I use her for nothing. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. I'm in the same boat, right? Because it really, what is it good for? It it makes fart noises for my kids and I set use it to set timers. You set timers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you know, now it'll be interesting to see what Apple does and, and probably Google as well with their assistants, but it'll be interesting to see like what these voice, how quickly these voice assistants can improve. Because if they can, the utility will go up. And if that utility does go up, I think what we're going to see is that feature you just described, like much more ubiquitous. Now I don't have to have an Otter AI inbox. Like my watch could be just listening to this right. and and generating reminders and and all that stuff. That's really, really interesting. It also makes me think like, you know, I, I haven't been in that situation you talked about with your daughter uh, at the doctor, but like, you know, we had a, a little scare with Henry two years ago. And I, I think you can relate to this. It's like when you have a little emergency and you're sitting there with the doctor, like you're listening to the doctor, but you don't really know what they're saying. You're just hoping everything's okay. Right. But it'd be kind of nice to just know that my watch is recording that, or at least listening to it and summarizing it at the end. So I can say, Hey, right. what the hell did that guy say? <laughs> You know, and and it would just say, hey, yeah. hey, here are the three things that the doctor mentioned, and here's a link to Google to go find them. That to me is really fascinating. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and limb and take it a step further. And th- this was sort of the divide between where you are age wise and I am age wise. Uh, side side note, I'm older than Paul by by just about a decade. So our parents have gotten to this stage of their life where they don't listen very closely to their doctors. Oh. And they also have selective selective hearing when it comes to the things that they, and generally speaking, like the things they want to hear are the things that come out of the visit. I think you're talking about my parents too. Okay. As we've, <laughs> d- as we've dived in deeper and we go to appointments and we hear things and follow up, like we're, we're obviously hearing the whole conversation and there's a bunch of stuff that was missed. And to your point, where I could see AI having a huge effect. My, my parents, my dad and my, my wife's parents both feel some level of defensiveness when we talk to them about doctors. But what if they didn't need us to go with them because their Apple Watch was going to record that interaction and, and all the notes from the doctor and then we could use that later to distill and ask questions and do research and all that stuff. It'll be fascinating to see how that turns out. I, I know... Um... I haven't, there's this guy I haven't talked to in over a decade now, but he had started a company called MedQuarter, 
on that premise. And I it, I saw about a year ago it folded and I, I don't recall why, but it had something to do with like, I think some doctors just don't want to be recorded. And so that'll be an interesting friction point to sure. all this. Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me. You know? Right. Very similar to the whole Google Glass thing, right? People were like, whoa, I didn't, I don't mm-hmm. like, you know? So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. But I, I think the summary of all this, I know, I know we both got to jump to another call here, but I think the summary of all this though is, is that like, it's not all doom and gloom. I think that I, I really don't think, well, I, I think it's not all doom and gloom. And I also don't think you have to rush to anything right now. Uh, right. So I think, I think companies really ought to just kind of sit on the sidelines and, and, and just let the first wave of AI go by and see where it lands. But I think for individuals, individual contributors, workers like you and me, we should all just tinker a little bit and kind of just be, at least be aware of what's possible. And bonus points if you can kind of use the existing tools to help you create more, better, you know, there's something interesting there. There's a lot interesting there. And I think that the the most telling thing that you said was that you don't need to rush. Certainly there are going to be winners and losers in AI. The first, to your point earlier, the first search engine and the first social media network were not the ones that survived. So the, the cold pitches will continue to come in fast and furious, but that doesn't mean that first to market will be best to market. Yeah. And for all the cold emailers that are definitely not listening to our podcast, you're not going to get funded just because your cold email says AI. <laughs> right. Just if they listen to the show, just think how much smaller our inboxes would be. There you go. Yeah. Where, where is that AI tool? I need the AI tool that can only like I need priority inbox, but brought into 2023 with AI. Here's my million dollar <laughs> idea. I'm going to take AI and every time you get an email that talks about it, I'm going to drop them a, an instant reply with a link to this show. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's right. That, that'll get us distribution too. It'll be great. <laughs> timestamp. Timestamp at 27 minute mark. Here you go. I love it. I love it. To blow you right into the part of stop emailing us. I love it. All right, man. We're, uh, right, you, man. you going anywhere this week? Come on, man. This is me. Of course. Yeah. I've got, uh, I've got a one day trip to Toronto and that's it for this week. But then Chicago, Denver, Vegas, all on the horizon. I am home the rest of the month and then down to Florida in the beginning of June. So uh, I'll let you earn all the miles and uh, I'll just live vicariously through you. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right, man. Well, I'll talk to you soon. See ya.